please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. He made a mighty nation from the seed of Abraham and led them through the wilderness. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. In boundless love and mercy, he gave his only son who became Please stand by. Good morning. This is Betty McKinney at Rick Bonfam Ministries. We're glad you've joined us and um, hope that you are being blessed by these Bible studies the way we are as we are going through the book of Acts and just seeing all the wonderful things but also the struggles that the early church had to face as they were established. You know, sometimes we think, oh, let's go back to having church the way it was in the first century. Let's go back to the early church. Well, you don't get all the wonderful miracles and raising from the dead and walking by Peter's shadow or a handkerchief from Paul (laughs) and those wonderful things um, and everyone having all things in common with such harmony, it seems, without going through the struggles they also went through and the persecution. It It all came together. So we're looking at that today and just seeing how they how they overcame and just how God worked through these leaders of the first church, uh, first century church, to establish it and keep division from just scattering them. It's really wonderful. That's a miracle, too. <laughs> That's a miracle, too. So we've been talking about the first missionary journey. Um, John Dunn did a wonderful job talking about that then Rick followed up with it yesterday in Acts chapter 15 and how Barnabas and Paul went to cities like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe and there they were persecuted they were misunderstood they were called gods (laughs) given names of heathen gods then stoned uh, until they appeared dead in spite of all that they went back to those towns and they um, they had gathered quite a gathering there, quite a, a group of believers, um, because many did believe, and churches were established, and there was a great harvest from those cities. So in spite of all the troubles, they went back, and they established and strengthened and encouraged the churches that had begun there. So we get to verse 14.22. I'm just going to do a recap of a couple things as I'm moving into Acts chapter 15. This is a verse that's not often emphasized. In fact, it may get skipped. (laughs) It says, um, this is about Paul and Barnabas um, going back to the cities where they had had so much turmoil and yet churches had been established. Hebrews 4, I mean not Hebrews, Acts 14.22 strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Did you get that? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's not your average Sunday school lesson, is it? That's not your usual altar call. Anyone who wants many tribulations, come forward and you can be part of the kingdom of God. (laughs) More often we hear like, believe in Jesus and you'll have love, joy, peace, and perfect bliss. (laughs) As American Christians especially, we need to come to terms with this, don't we? Um, Our brethren in persecuted, restricted nations already know 
Through many tribulations, they enter the kingdom of God. They know there's a price. They know there's a high cost, which could include prison, could include persecution on a regular basis, and just a lot of sacrifice. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. One person I really, I love his story. I love his testimony. I had the privilege of meeting him at a Voice of the Martyrs conference. His name is Bob Fu. And he wrote the most interesting book. I really recommend it to you. It's called God's Double Agent. Um, he actually taught English to, uh, to the Communist Party. He held classes and he was right in the middle of the Communist Party. But then he and his wife became believers. And I've got to put on my glasses and read this because it's not working off my screen, just with my, my eyes. This happens when you get to be 62. So, <laughs> um, I'm just going to read you a paragraph that he wrote in his book, God's Double Agent. Both my wife and I knew that sooner or later we would face, quote, prison theology. He talked about the different steps they went through learning how to come out of the communist mindset of working for the Communist Party in China to being believers and entering the kingdom of God. So he called it communist the- or prison theology. That's the experience of Chinese Christians. We were always told that if you wanted to be a faithful follower of Jesus, you would have to take that course. So I remember my wife Heidi and I prayed specifically, Lord, give us at least three years to set ourselves up with a more solid ground. We were still weak in faith and wanted to prepare ourselves. Three years later, in 1996, we were both arrested. In a sense, I felt that was the grace of the Lord. Prison theology. In America, we don't usually say, Lord, I know I'm going to have to take prison theology. Just give me a little time. But that's the common experience of Chinese Christians. And Rick did ask us the question yesterday. Get ready for persecution. How will you stand as a Christian in these days? Amen. So, continuing on now into Acts 15. After the first missionary journey... Acts 15, 1 and 2, it says, And some men came down to Antioch from Judea. Why did they come down? Even though Judea was nor- even though Antioch was north of Judea, it's because Jerusalem is in the mountains. And you always go up to Jerusalem and you come down from Jerusalem. So they came down to Antioch and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension, and I looked in my Bible and another way that could be interpreted was not a little. (laughs) So great dissension, not a little dissension, and debate with them. Do you hear those words? Great dissension, not a little dissension, and debate with them. It was determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So the men from Judea came down to Antioch. They had not a little. And when you're talking about Jewish people, that means not a little. (laughs) Because debate is just part of the Jewish culture. Um, But again, 
regardless if we're talking about Jewish culture or anywhere the church is being established, it's pretty much true. Would you agree with me that the old guard, those who like the old wineskins, let's just never change things because we've always done it this way, and the religious spirit, the legalists, will always resist a new move of God, will resist the kingdom would like to keep the institution as opposed to the kingdom and the moving of the Holy Spirit. And yet, even though that's been true from the very beginning and all through church history, somehow it still catches us by surprise. (laughs) Why should it? Some people get so discouraged by this that they leave the ministry because of it. But this should be, whether it's prison um, theology or... Um, this particular type of persecution or dissent, not a little, this should be uh, taught, I think, to new disciples, to leaders better, that you should just expect it because it's always been there. So going on in Acts 15, starting with verse 5, but certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees, sect of the Pharisees now, The good old Pharisees are the ones who gave Jesus constant grief, remember? And one of the great miracles of this is that Paul had been a Pharisee. Um, So, hallelujah. Pray for God to bring treasures out of darkness. Pray for God to move these who are the most opposed, the ones who want to persecute the kingdom of God the most. Paul is one of those. He was when he was called Saul of Tarsus, and yet look who he is now. And if God can do that with Saul of Tarsus, he can do it with whoever is persecuting you, um, whoever is in the old guard or with legalism and, and just that religious spirit that doesn't want the kingdom, doesn't want anything to change. God can change their hearts. And right in there in that text, but certain ones of the sects of the Pharisees who had believed So God is already starting to work on their hearts. They have come to believe in Jesus as the Son of God who died on the cross for the atonement of sins. They still just want to hold on to their old ways. They kind of want to combine it. We're going to keep our Judaism the way it's always been, our sacrificial system, our laws, our ceremonial, everything. But we're going to also believe in Jesus. But at least they're making some progress, right? I mean, there's been some work on their hearts. So certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. Which indicates to us, I read this in the um, Jimmy Swaggart Expositor's Bible, this was not a closed private meeting. This whole debate, dispute, not a little, (laughs) played out before many. And I think that helps us see a pattern or a guideline how to resolve these kinds of disputes. You don't have to go in behind closed doors and make a decision of a you know, a secret committee. These guys fought it out in public to just expose what was going on. This is the growing pains of planting a church. This is the growing pains of the 
the new church being birthed um, with a whole different emphasis than had always been kept by the law of Moses and the Pharisees who were there to constantly enforce the law of Moses. These are these are huge growing pains, but their growing pains can be good. <laughs> growing pains hurt. That's why they're called growing pains. But it it means God is doing something new. Just like when a baby is born, there's a lot of pain. But something new is coming forth, right? So this wasn't a closed private meeting. They gathered together. And once again, I'm, I'm reading from um, Acts 15, um, verses 5 through 11. Once again, it says, And after there had been much debate. This probably went on for days and days and days. Then Peter stood up. And I just love this, that Peter once again proves himself to have absorbed, internalized everything he had learned from his Lord Jesus as he walked with him and also his encounter with the Holy Spirit. Well, let's back up. His repentance. His repentance <clears throat> when he had had so much pride. Lord, though any, everyone deserts you, I'm your man. I will never desert you. And then he just, he failed so abysmally. That, that contrition, that hu- humiliation, that repentance he went through really turned him into a different person. And then he just was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and Peter's a new man. So I love this, that after there had been much debate, not a little, (laughs) Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What's he talking about? He's talking about the time he spent um, at the house of Cornelius. Now, he was in Joppa. God gave him that amazing vision. He had to receive it three times of the sheet coming down, seeing all these things that were ceremonially unclean. That Peter said, oh, no, I'll never touch those, because that's where Peter had been. He was a believer, but he still thought, we still have to keep the old law. There has to be a combination, a mixture of both. So he said, oh, no, Lord, I'm, I'm a keeper of the law. And God had to get it through to Peter. No, what I have called clean, don't call unclean. So Peter's been through this process. So he said, you know, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe, which happened at the house of Cornelius where they were first baptized in the Holy Spirit and then they were baptized in water. So God decided to just do it backwards. Let's just break all your concepts, guys. Let's just get you to the place where I am God and I'm doing something new here and you receive what I'm doing. Peter goes on, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. He's talking about the Gentiles, right? The house of Cornelius. Now therefore, Peter continues, Why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? In other words, 
He says, look, let's talk about this. We could not keep the law. We were given the law by Moses, and the first thing we did was start breaking it. Even before Moses came down from the mountain with the law, they couldn't keep it, right? They couldn't wait 40 days. He said, we were, we were constantly departing from it. I mean, if you read Kings and Chronicles, there'd be one good king. He would have to establish everything. Then there'd be a bad king and he'd go and put up idols everywhere. <coughs> he would put up <coughs> things on the high places. He would stop the feasts. He would stop everything that God had commanded to be done. <coughs> then there would be a good king who'd have to come and clean house and re- restore the the feasts and take down the high places. So he says, look at our history. We could not keep the law. We were God's chosen people to whom the law was given. We were constantly departing from it. How are we going to expect the Gentiles now to come in and perfectly keep it? So Peter continues. He says, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. As you look back through Jewish history, they never were saved by their ability to perfectly keep the law. They were saved by the same blood of the lamb as the Gentiles. That Passover lamb that was sacrificed every year pointed to Jesus, who would be the Passover lamb, who would rescue them out of slavery to sin, rescue them out of the world, Egypt, rescue them from themselves. The same blood that was shed on that cross works backwards and forwards. It saved the Jews no matter how close they were to keeping the law. No one could save themselves through it. It's the blood of Jesus saved the Jews, the Hebrews, before the cross. The blood of Jesus saves everyone after the cross, no matter what tongue, tribe you are from, Jew or Gentile. Amen? So this is just excellent of Peter just saying why do you put God to the test placing on the neck of the disciples meaning the new Gentile disciples who just been reported by Paul and Barnabas a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear we are all saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus and the entire epistle of Galatians addresses this right that's what it was all written about you go ahead here and you read Galatians, that's exactly what happened in Galatia. The, the gospel had been preached. People had received it in its simplicity and its purity that, that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then Judaizers came up to Galatia and said, oh, no, 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 no. you got to keep all this list of 613 laws plus a bunch of rabbinical interpretations of the law and I'm just going to read one verse out of Galatians 2 that kind of sums it up where Paul writes to Galatia trying to correct what what takes place there it's uh, Galatians 2 which you, you know this verse probably by heart Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, 
For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Amen? So after Peter, after this debate, not a little, days and days of debate, and Peter gives his exhortation, James then, back in, in Acts 15, James then gives the verdict. Who is James? He is the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe at first, but now has become a firm believer. In fact, he is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is almost entirely, 90% made up of Jewish believers. And he is the leader of the the church in Jerusalem. If you read his epistle later in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, um, it's the most Jewish book in the New Testament because his flock is mostly Jewish people learning how to become um, the church, learning how to follow Jesus Christ. And he expounds on Jewish or Messianic Jesus followers what that means to be a Jewish Jesus follower. So that's what his letter, his epistle, James, is mostly about. So it says that James now, after all this debate, gives the verdict. Remember, what we're studying now is how does an emerging church solve its disputes? How does an emerging church moving into a new era, (coughs) a new season, a new work of God, Take that which is people are clinging to the old and then people have been given revelation of the new. How do they bring this together to be one body in unity and in love and what Jesus said he would build his church to be? This is just a great model for us. So, excuse me, James, as the leader of the church in Jerusalem, gives the verdict in verse 19 of Acts 15. James declares this, Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them, and he goes on in the next verses, a list of guidelines how to become brethren made up of both Jew and Gentile. In other words, one family. We write to them, there are certain things we ask you to observe so that Jews and Gentiles can fellowship together, so that they cannot offend one another, so they can have fellowship together without... um, and, And actually, his guidelines would apply to anyone, no matter where you come from. Um, he, he repeats them twice. In, in Acts 12, he repeats them in verse 20, and then again in verse 29. And there's four guidelines. Number one, abstain from things contaminated by idols. Number two, abstain from immorality. Number three, not to eat blood. And then number four, abstain from food that's been strangled to death. So he doesn't list in there, does he, uh, circumcision or no circumcision. Kosher food laws. You can't eat meat and milk on the same plate or in the same meal. He doesn't list ceremonial washings. He doesn't list all the laws of Sabbath keeping and how many steps you can walk on a Sabbath day. 
and whether you can turn on the lights or light a fire or not. <laughs> he doesn't list the rabbinical thousands of detailed laws. He gives four guidelines. First one has to do with things contaminated by idols. Well, that is just a good guideline for spiritual health. Spiritual health, because the, the Gentile world and then also the Jews, when they would go astray and follow idols, they, um, they would offer their food to idols before they'd eat it. The same way we would thank God for, for blessing our food and, and offer our thanks to God for providing this food, they would offer part of their food to idols. When I went to Corinth, I saw that the best restaurants in town were also temples of idols. So you would go there to eat, but you would exalt that idol and give thanks to that idol or that false god before you ate your food. That just takes the place of God. That's putting an idol in the place of God. So this is spiritual health, isn't it? Just cut everything having to do with these idols out of your life. Don't eat food that has been Offered to idols, abstain from everything that's been contaminated by idols. The second thing had to do with immorality, which is just a healthy lifestyle for everyone. To live a, a pure life and, and live the way God wants you to live. And, and that has to do with, in so many aspects of life, immorality. Number three what had to do with not eating blood, which was a practice of the heathens. That's just healthy eating. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that, where how much we get our way from healthy eating this, these days, and then we wonder why we're sick all the time, right? And then food that has been strangled to death, that also was very much part of pagan, heathen practices that were prevalent in their worship of pagan gods and idols. So he said, just get away from that stuff. Get away from the way you used to make these these offerings to God. In in Brazil, they still do it in Macumba. They they offer whiskey and they offer rice and they they offer cigarettes and they have these things that they offer to these these gods, right, Rick? And they hold these ceremonies. He says, get away from all that. That is that's hurting your life. So this is good advice to anyone, no matter where you come come from and these practices like I said some of them were observed by both Jewish and Gentile believers because it had just been so much a part of their past part of their lifestyle and what James is saying here is this means that Jews and Gentiles can sit down and have a meal together (laughs) that's where fellowship happens the most anyway doesn't it when you're eating (coughs) so he says (coughs) this means Jews and Gentiles can have relationship. They can have fellowship. They can sit down at the same table. Remember Peter, if you look at Galatians, he struggled with that at one point because that old law started working him. Oh, I can't sit at the same table with Gentiles. But James's rules here were given in such wisdom to say the church that Jesus is building is going to be made up of both Jewish and Gentile, and they're going to be able to come together and have a fried chicken dinner (laughs) and talk and love one another. Amen? 
<clears throat> so Paul and Barnabas and Silas and others take this letter that's written from James and the leaders in Jerusalem and they take it back to Antioch. And I guess I have to read that one too because I didn't get it on my notes up here. In verse 3 it says, Therefore being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through <clears throat> both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. Lifting off these heavy, the heavy yoke of the law brings joy. <laughs> it was bringing great joy to say, hey guys, we can all build this church together. And this huge dispute of, no, we have to do it this way. No, we have to do it that way. It's, be, it's been dissolved. And we can have a family of God. We can enter the kingdom of God together. This was bringing joy. So, from the beginning, legalism threatened to split the church. Paganism threatened to split the church. We have two factions hostile to each other. Thank God for the wisdom of James. Um, thank God that... Um, and what, what, he, what he says, what James says in this letter that brought so much joy, he said, disassociate yourself with anything connected with former pagan worshiping gods. But then he also said in verse 21, if they want to know more of Hebraic roots of the Christian faith, they can, they should. He didn't say never practice Passover again, never have feasts again. If they want to understand Moses and the roots, then they can. They should. But it's not a mandate anymore. So um, let's bring this now home to us. Our church, our churches, denominations are being torn asunder these days. And we're tempted to be so distressed and to be unforgiving, to be, just be hateful of the other side. And there are many who will not hear. We, we know that. God is shaking all things. God is sifting. There are many who will not hear. But there are those who will. So let's take heart today. And let's pray for the wisdom and the revelation of James. That the, the remnant, the true believers, the ones who have had an encounter with Jesus, can discuss, debate, pray, Find a way to be the body of Christ together in these difficult times. Amen? All right. Thanks. This really was a good lesson for me. It really encouraged me. And I hope it had, you heard something from it yourself. So we're going to continue now the programming. 930. Who do we have teaching, John? We don't remember. But somebody good. It, it's probably Rick. And um, we're going to be programming till noon today. So stay with us. God bless you. Bye bye. To every generation. He gives the joy of his salvation. Oh, 